Good morning, good morning. We are taking a break from Ecclesiastes just for a week. And um, maybe you're aware, um, if, if, if you've watched the news or, or whatnot, um, there's been some happenings kind of uh, across some Christian college campuses. Are some of you guys aware of these things? Um, at a school called um, Asbury University, it's had a long history, these kind of things. Um, and if you're kind of new to Christianity, I'm going to walk through. Um, I'm, I want to walk through this. There's some slides behind me showing it's kind of spreading to other schools, and these are essentially um, unplanned, unorganized, um, spontaneous, essentially worship services amongst Gen Z. Uh, you know, 18, 19, 20 year olds college-aged, and starting prayer meetings and just never leaving. And people driving from hundreds and hundreds of miles away to come and join. And, um, and so there's, it's hard to put labels to this, right? And so some people want to call it um, a, a spiritual renewal or a spiritual awakening or a revival. American history is littered with these things, right? There was the first great awakening during you know, the colonial days, the Revolutionary War era in the 1800s or so, then the second great awakening in the early 1800s, and there was a third great awakening later in the post-Civil War era, then there was Azusa Street Revival, and there was all these different things that's occurred throughout American history, and also plenty other instances globally, to where in a short kind of amount of time, there's just a, a spiritual awakening with a lot of people that seems spontaneous and unplanned. Um, to, to kind of give a definition to it, I think um, this is helpful. This comes from an English preacher. His name was Martin Lloyd-Jones. He defined revival in this way. We can define it as a period of unusual blessing and activity in the life of the Christian church. Revival means awakening, stimulating the life, bringing it to the surface again. It happens primarily in the church of God and amongst believing people, and it is only secondly something that affects those that are outside also. The essence of a revival is that the Holy Spirit comes down upon a number of people together, upon a whole church, upon a number of churches, districts, or schools, or perhaps a whole country. What the people are conscious of is that it is as if something has suddenly come down upon them. The Spirit of God has descended into their midst. God has come down and is amongst them. A baptism, an outpouring, a visitation. And the effect of this is that they are immediately, um, have immediately become aware of his presence and of his power in the manner that they never knew before. That was a basic definition of what revival um, is. And so the topic is vast. Um, before any of this occurred, we had actually planned a sermon series post-Easter to kind of walk through some of these things. Um, and we're still going to do that, but I'm just going to take a break now and kind of give some, some biblical examples of this because m much of you, many of you have reached out or are talking about this and thinking about this. Um, this past week, amongst the staff here, there's been a load of conversations about it, and a lot more prayer has happened in this building ever since I've been here. Um, it's been awesome. 
just and I hope that that doesn't stop by all means. And so, yeah, we're taking a break this week to look at a, a passage in the Old Testament because there's various times in biblical history where this also occurred. And so we're going to look at that. And at one occasion when it happened um, in biblical history and kind of break down some of the elements of what took place. What we're going to see is that revivals are just concentrated times, essentially, of things that we as Christians should be doing regularly, should be seeking for regularly. But, you know, in these, you know, kind of experiential moments, it happens, you know, kind of all at once and God is involved and God amplifies it, but there's cycles of renewal, right? It goes up and then it kind of trickles away. But there's things that come from these seasons that we should constantly be searching for and praying for and seeking after. And so we're going to look at those things um, as it comes out of this story in 1 Samuel 7. Um, There's a number of things we're going to look at. And so um, to begin this, if you have a Red Pew Bible, page 268, 1 Samuel chapter 7, we're going to begin in verse 2. You can turn that. So here, as we jump in kind of mid-story here, we're going to see that God's people in, this, in, in the book called the book of Judges, the book right before, for, for centuries, there was also kind of cycles of, you know, renewal, turning back to God and then going away from him, and then turning back to God and then walking away from him. And so there had been a long season of just walking away from him. Okay, and their biggest sin, really, in the Bible was, was worshiping God plus others, right? It wasn't a total rejection of God as if he wasn't there or did not exist anymore. It was, oh, God plus this other false God. God plus this other thing. We'll just kind of have, they're all together. This is great, you know. Um, It's called syncretism is a fancy word for that. That was a major sin throughout the Old Testament in Israel's past. That was happening now, but we're about to see a, a revival take place when a crisis hit. They were being invaded by the foreign army. And as the crisis hit, they returned to God, and God indeed showed up. But let's look at what happened as they did so. Beginning in verse 2, it says, Then all the people of Israel turned back to the Lord. So Samuel said to all the Israelites, If you are returning to the Lord with all of your hearts, then rid yourself of the foreign gods and the asterisks, and commit yourself to the Lord, to Yahweh, and serve him only. And he will deliver you from the hands of of the Philistines, that's the invading army. So the Israelites put away their Baals, the Asherahs, which are gods that the people around them worshipped, and they served Yahweh only. So as we see here, the first principle of these moments of spiritual renewal is that it begins when we begin turning from these things, turning from a Jesus plus fill in the blank to a Jesus plus nothing else way of life in our hearts and in our actions. For these people in Israel, they began to actually tear down. This was a a time when they actually had, you know, statues, like physical statues and idols in their towns and their homes and their communities and their little neighborhood squares. They started ripping these things down because they wanted all of their hearts to be fully given over to God and not be divided anymore. And I think spiritual renewal began with us in the same way. But the idea of false gods seems like an archaic notion, right? Um, Chances are we don't have, you know, ancient, you know, Sumerian statues of gods in our living room, 
Like, probably not, okay? So how do we talk about false gods? Or even such an idea or such a reality? Is it a thing anymore? And the idea is absolutely, of course, yes, amen. Probably more so than almost ever in history is our country full of absolute false gods that we are surrounded in. Um, how to identify this? Um, things that we often look to to help fix our brokenness. That's a false God. Things that we look to when we're feeling sad or broken or angry or lonely. Uh, things that can bring us, that we look to for, for comfort in times of stress or anxiety. Things to deliver us from them all. Those are just kind of quiet acts of worship when we do that. And when we turn to these things that are not true gods at all, right, we, we then realize, well, that is a false god. And so we must know that among his people, because God loves us, he wants to take these things away from us because they are destructive. They, um, they, 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 it's like the alcohol, right? You think that would deliver you, but it only just creates you wanting more of it. And that's always the pattern, whether it's food, whether it's alcohol, whether it's TV, whatever it might be. It's something that you have to go back to continually because it never actually fixes what you're hoping it will do. That's what false gods do to us. And God wants to remove them from our life, but I'm not sure if we often really want him to do that kind of work, right? There's a verse in the Psalms that are really helpful, I think, because we, I'm gonna ask, give you some, some diagnoses, um, kind of uh, uh, um, tips here to help in your own life to identify any false gods that might be present. But the first psalm here that's really helpful, Psalm 86, verse 11, is, it says, Teach me your way, O Lord, that I may rely on your faithfulness. And here's the key. Give me an undivided heart that I may fear your name. An undivided heart. How many of us in this room have an undivided heart? Right? That's That's hard. Right? Is there a, 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 living in America, think of all the things that just that get inside of us that grab the attention of our heart in a thousand different directions in which there seems to be no coherence at all of where those things are going to. So you, that just provides just the, this, this anxiety culture we're in, right? I mean, this is all part of it. Of course we have a divided heart in our country. If we had the perspective of God to peer into our hearts, to identify those desires that are our heart that are, you know, if you're a Christian this morning, that, you know, is devoted to Christ, but what are the parts that are devoted to other things? Christ plus, you know, fill in the blank. So here are four audits. Okay, if you have a pen and paper, this is my challenge to you to do these audits in your own life. The first audit, this will help surface potential false gods in your life, is the stress audit. When you are stressed and anxious, where do you turn? What do you do? What do you look for for comfort or for help? Number two is a checkbook audit. Where is your money going? Right? Is there an excess of money spent on certain directions and certain things? Or do a checkbook audit. Where exactly is your money going towards? That's a good indication of what your heart desires. Number three, time audits. What do you spend your time doing when no one else is around? And why are you doing it? A time audit. The last one is a thought audit. When you're alone, we just went for a hike yesterday with, with the men. When you're in moments alone, left to your own thoughts, where do they go? 
what do you think about up in here? Because that's another indication of what your heart is really desiring, okay? As you do those audits, I challenge you, right? You may be able to identify in your own heart things that you're looking to to deliver rather than looking to God for deliverance um, and for our worship and for our salvation. There's so many things I, I want to mention, but I think in America, you know, um, this conversation, there's just, there's so many blind spots that we have. And I think there's so many just name them false gods that we just, we become so accustomed to that we don't even talk about it. Like literally just don't even talk about it because we just like, oh, whatever, not a big deal. Okay. You know, sexual immorality. We'll talk about that. Stealing. Yeah. We'll talk about that. Well, of course there's a murder. Yeah. Like it's you in jail. We'll talk about those things, but there's also blind spots that I think that we can be enslaved to in America that I just wonder what spiritual damage is it doing in our own hearts? A couple of them. I won't spend a lot of time on this. The first one, the screen addictions. The average America spends, average American spends seven hours a day in front of a screen. The recent study just came out. Seven hours a day between all day, you know, picking up your phone an average of 50 or 60 times, combine all of that, plus nighttime, TV, whatever, watching, seven hours a day. You know, you're only awake 16 hours a day. And if you work eight or nine hours a day, it's like, you mean every other hour is spent staring at a screen? Well, I don't know. Maybe not for all of us, but the average person is close to that. It's close to that. Now, if I told you that I, I spent seven to nine hours a day reading a book or reading books or like cutting my grass or doing, you'd probably be like, you have a grass cutting problem or like you have a book problem. Like you should probably put your book down. But we don't really talk about this, right? Addictions are chains, like chains, you know? And I know these things like hack our brains and are actually designed to hack our brains. I know that it's hard, it's difficult, but we need to talk about this. What are we looking for for seven hours a day that we're enchained to? The second thing we don't really talk about in our country is food. We have way too much of it. And we buy the cheap processed stuff wrapped in cellophane, readily available. And when it comes to sin and destructive patterns of living, like I said, it's easy to talk about sexual immorality or greed or injustice or stealing. But what about gluttony, overeating, comfort eating? We usually laugh about that. But God doesn't quite laugh about it because there's a verse in Philippians 3, verse 19, where Paul calls people who, who look to food to, to help them and to save them and to rescue them and to give them a comfort. He says their God actually is their belly. Their God is their belly. And their end is their destruction, right? They are crying out for help and salvation to God by opening, you know, rather than looking to him, they, they go and they open their fridge and they eat, right? Or, you know, even when you know as an Americans, we sort of just give ourselves like a pass. We're just like, oh, you know, whatever. I think it's kind of a, something we should talk about, right? More could be said about this. There's so many things that could be identified, but just recognizing your idols, the things you're enslaved to, the things you're, you can be chained to, because I want us to be free in Christ. If we're to truly experience the goodness and the beauty and the wonders of who he is, we have to be free from everything else before he is fully ours, before we can fully see him in his absolute manifest glory. So let's have those hard conversations. The next paragraph, we have to move on, 
um, uh, in the story in Samuel as they tore down their idols. Hopefully there's things in your mind now that you're like, I would love to tear that down, right? God, help me tear this down in my life. I'm, in, I'm enslaved to this. Maybe that's in your mind. Well, let's move on to see what the spiritual renewal season in Israel looked like in verses five through six. It says, Samuel said, assemble all Israel in Mizpah, and I will intercede with the Lord for you. When they had assembled at Mizpah, they drew water and they poured it out before the Lord. On that day, they fasted and they confessed, we have sinned against the Lord. Now Samuel was serving as leader at Mizpah. There's a lot going on, but first thing we're we'll gonna look at is we have sinned. When is the last time you were horrified at your own sin? It's your own brokenness. When was the last time you, you actually just broke down, right? Just realizing, I, I, I am such a sinner. I know we're saints in the eyes of Christ. He has forgiven us. If you know Jesus, the cross is enough to wash away all of those sins, but we know that the sin is never fully flushed out of us. And renewal comes when we develop a passionate, just daily hatred. Say, I, I, I hate the things that, that I do that bring destruction to my own life rather than just being numb to them. Renewal comes when we begin to learn to mourn over our own sin and become quick to repent, quick to confess. So here's an example. I'm going to read through this, right? Beginning in Psalm 51, one of the classic kind of confession here of sin from David after he himself committed an egregious sin. Beginning of verse one, he says, have mercy on me, O God. I want you to hear his spirit, like hear his mourning over his own sin and what he did. He brought great destruction to people's lives through his own lack of wisdom, his own passionate, you know, cheap pursuits. Here's what he says, have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, Blot out my transgressions. He couldn't blot them out on his own. He needs the mercy of God to wipe them clean. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me against you. And you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth and the inward being. Do you delight in truth and the inward being? And you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Purge me with a hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter with snow. He continues on. But when you, when you come to an understanding that God really is present in your life, he actually is present in your life, that he's here. When you become aware of that, that awareness of your own sin in light of the absolute holiness of God is exposed. It's exposed. Uh, I, I, a thought I've had recently in, um, in our staff here is asking people, I said, you know, if, if you were to um, actually be in God's presence, like actually stand in the, the presence of God, do you really think you would have a lot to say? Right? Do you think you would have like, oh, here's so many things I've just been loving to, you know, talk to you about. Like, uh, here's some stuff. Like, how are you doing? 
No, that's not how people responded when they were in the presence of God. That's not how things went down, okay? Um, When Isaiah was in this vision where he was actually in the presence of God, this was the scene. It says, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon the throne high and lifted up. The train of his robe filled the temple. Above and stood the seraphim, these are angels, right? He has six wings, two covered his face, two covered his feet, two he flew. And one called to another and said, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook. The voice of him who called the house was filled with smoke. Now imagine you're there. Would you be like, oh yeah, like this is where I deserve to be. This is awesome. This is cool. I'm enjoying this. I think you'd be a little freaked out. And just a little bit terrified. Right? I mean, come on. This was Isaiah's response. When he was there and the grounds were shaken, he saw the the God of the universe present. He said in verse 5, woe is me. I am lost. It's like, I don't deserve to be here, right? I'm a man of unclean lips. I'm about to go down here. I'm about to be like taken out. I don't, I don't, I can't be here. I'm a man of unclean lips. I dwell in the midst of an unclean people. My eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. In every single circumstance in Scripture, when people find themselves in the very presence of God, they fall down like they're dead, right? Daniel's terrified, but the mercy of God is always shown that God says, it's okay. You're, you're, you're my creation. You're cleansed. You can be here. I'm not going to just, you know, flick you out of here like you're welcome in my presence in every circumstance did you know that God is present in your life and you can carry around this this kind of reverend fear of God in the midst of the excitement that Paul could even express to say you know he reads this in 1 Timothy 1 5 through 16 he said this he says the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners now, this is the Apostle Paul. Okay, we think that anybody got as close to being like Jesus in their life that was Apostle Paul. But listen to how he says, how he describes himself. Of whom I am the foremost. The foremost what? The foremost sinner. He thinks he's the worst sinner alive. How? Because I think that he carried with him an awareness of the presence of God so much that he said, wow, I'm really messed up inside. <laughs> and he knew that more. He was more sensitive to that than most. And that's common amongst those who have a deeply intimate relationship with Jesus Christ. They're not afraid to say, man, I'm really messed up inside. But look, this is what he says in verse 16. But I receive mercy for this reason that in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. Translation, if Jesus loves me, saved me, and gave me mercy, there's hope for you. That's what Paul's saying. Look at me as an example of the worst, that if I meet Jesus and he, he grabbed me and saved me, there's hope for you. That's how Paul understood himself. When's the last time you were weepy over your own sin, that you were just in dread over your sin before a holy God? There's a hard word I have to say, I think, this morning, that we live in a therapeutic culture, okay? There's much talk about emotional and mental health. Those are very real things. People sin against us, and that causes trauma. Uh, really hard events happen around us. It causes us to have, you know, just mental anxiety and hardship. Of Sometimes we're born with broken bodies and broken brains to where things like depression is just, it's way too easily there because our bodies aren't whole as they should be. Those are very real things. 
But we can't neglect the conversation that often, perhaps, what causes us mental anguish and mental stress and mental health struggles just might stem from our very sinful choices and lifestyles and destructive habits and behaviors that we need to actually just turn from, repent of, and say, God, save me from my own self. That's a word that we don't say enough that perhaps we should bring out because God has granted you the power to turn from these things that are bringing anguish and destruction to your own life. He can help you. No temptation has you know, come upon you that is, is so great that God can't come in and rescue you from. Right? Are we here? You guys alive? You hear me this morning? Martin Luther said that all of life is repentance. All of life. You don't repent of your sin once or twice. It's a daily lifestyle, right? You don't just experience renewal from repentance once. You live in daily renewal by just living in repentance, right? Lord, help me turn, turn from these things. Lord, save me from these things. I'm so sorry, God. I know your mercy is great. Like, this is a way of life. If you seek the presence of God, if you want the presence of God, I'm telling you, be prepared to live a life of repentance. Be prepared for this. Thirdly, what we see here next in this story is fasting and prayer. Then Samuel said, assemble all the mizpah. He said, I will intercede with the Lord for you. Here the prayer is what we can call intercessory prayer. Where he actually was on his knees praying on behalf of these people. And there's a broader conversation of prayer also within seasons of spiritual renewal. You will never find a season of spiritual renewal that takes place anywhere in the world that you won't find some person in some corner somewhere on their knees praying. I said, oh, it started there. I shared it with our um, Young at Hearts luncheon how there was two um, sisters in their early 80s who one was just bent over with, all, with, um, with uh, um, arthritis, couldn't even really move well. One was blind. And they couldn't even go to services because their bodies were so broken. But they said, what we can do is Pray. You should read about this in the Heidelberg um, uh, revivals that took place in the islands of Scotland that because of those two 80-something-year-old sisters, their prayers brought about such an awakening. Hundreds and hundreds came to Christ. And it was built on the backs of their prayers, of their interceding for their communities. Right? All these renewals are marked by prayer. I, I, I got to say, I, I wish I could stand here as some kind of expert on prayer. I have six little kids. I tend to just cast all blame on there's not really a lot of quiet in my house. Really ever. Sometimes in the morning. And I get that. That's my season of life. And I love that season of life. It's wonderful. Quiet prayer is kind of difficult. Okay? Doesn't mean I need to ignore it either. So I'm, I'm working on that. But I can tell you this week, I've had discovered a sweetness of prayer. I just haven't had. And I guess the tears are so fresh because I'm also convicted because I kind of like, I could have this, I think, more than I do. I just haven't pursued it as I should. Just this week, I was, um, I, I woke up Tuesday and I just um, decided to not do anything but pray. 
I mean, after all, it says that, you know, part of the, the job of pastors is to the ministry of the word and prayer. And I'm like, well, that should be, a, you know, a big part of my job is praying for you, praying for this church, praying for our community. So I decided just to do that for a whole day. I woke up Wednesday thinking, I don't want to do anything else either today. I want to pray. Like it was, I just walked around in the woods for hours. I sat here for hours and just, I felt like just everything was just coming alive with just God showing and, and talking and teaching and just bringing people's faces and bringing things to pray for. I just, I felt alive unto God. And I didn't want it to stop, so I got the staff together. And I said, guys, can we pray together? Then on Thursday, I, I called more people. I said, we're going to sit in the, in the chapel here. We're going we're gonna to pray more. And then we said, can we do this every week? I was like, yes. And I'm sorry that I haven't led you into doing this as often as we should. The sweetness of, of communing with God is available to you. Are you distracted like I often am? That he is just yearning to speak and to be with you, but you were just so distracted doing who knows what. It's probably just, you know, time wasters and just distracted things that, that you're missing out on the sweet communion with Jesus Christ himself through his Holy Spirit. And we see those images of people not leaving a chapel, you know, for, for you know, days and days and days on end. When you hear the testimonies of what people are saying when you walk into that room, they say, there's just, you know, God is there. And you just, you're arrested. You don't want to leave. It's just like a weight that just is so sweet. that you say, like, I want to stay here. And five minutes turns into two hours. And you still just don't want to leave. Friends, that's available to us as we walk throughout our lives, as we carry out throughout our day at our workplaces and our mornings, as we go to bed. Like, this is available to us as a way of life. If you haven't read Brother Lawrence's Practicing the Presence of God, this little book, it'd take you about 45 minutes to read it, find it. He lived that way. And people travel from all over the world to say, why are you so happy? You're a cook in a monastery. You're poor. You have nothing. And he said, God is with me. That is why I have the joy that I have. And I know he's with me. And I commune with him all day long. And the joy that I have from his presence exceeds all else. This is available for us. These are the things that mark spiritual renewal. We're going to move on. Fourthly, we see worship. First Samuel 7, 10, I've got to hurry up here, 10 through 11. When the Philistines heard that Israel had assembled at Mitzpah, the rulers of the Philistines came to attack them. When the Israelites heard it, they were afraid because of the Philistines, and they said to Samuel, do not stop crying out to the Lord our God for us, that he may rescue us from the hand of the Philistines. Then Samuel took a suckling lamb, sacrificed it as a whole burnt offering to the Lord. He cried out to the Lord on Israel's behalf, and the Lord answered him. Worship, coming before God in worship, that was one of the primary things that's marking what we're seeing at these colleges, right? Hearts drawn towards repentance of sin, tearing down of idols, prayer, fasting, naturally leads us to having a bowed heart towards God, right? Um, Just to come before him and to sing hallelujah, Right, come before him. It means casting your worth, casting worth upon him. This marks revivals. And so a little peak of, of worship, you want to get a peek into the, the heavenly worship. I think Jesus' prayer on earth as it is in heaven applies here, right? When we con- congregate together as a church to worship, um, uh, what does that look like in heaven? 
right, that we can learn from as we practice even worship together as a congregation. Revelation 5 gives us a peek into heaven. It says, And I looked and I heard around the throne the living creatures and the elders, the voice of many angels, numbering myriads, myriads of thousands and thousands, saying with a loud voice, Was it a quiet voice? Were they whispering their praise? No, it was a loud voice, it says. Worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne, to the lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and they worshiped. I don't know if you're like me and you enjoy concerts right, enjoy music and go into those. It's one thing, you know, to, to yell and to, you know, yeah, you know, like a concert or something, and that's, that's, that's great, right? Um, we enjoy that, but I think what happens in, like, Sunday mornings is, like, we become, like, stiff, and we're, like, there's a lot of people here, and, like, I mean, I, I don't really, like, want to be too loud, and it'd be weird, because that person's gonna look at me, it's like, what is wrong with that person? And so I'm just kind of sit here, and, like, I kind of really want to live, I don't know, I'm just feel awkward, like, I don't know what that is, I don't know. It's like a social weird pressure thing that just happens. Um, we're a family, and when we worship God, and you feel an urge just to stand or raise your hands or just sing a little bit louder, even if it's off key, perfectly fine. Or if you want to kneel or just sit down, I, whatever. Just I pray that we can find just a willingness to kind of drop our shoulders here and just say, I'm going to worship God and to enjoy him. All revivals throughout history have been marked with just really animated worship because people kind of feel the freedom to say, I just want to sing this morning. Like, I don't care if I'm like in the key of A and it's really in the key of G. Like, whatever. Because I don't even know keys. I'm just going to sing. Can we find that here at Emmanuel? Fifthly, we often see the supernatural work from God. When Samuel was sacrificing the burnt offering, the Philistines drew near to engage in battle. But the day the Lord thundered with loud thunder against the Philistines, and it threw them in such a panic, they were routed before the Israelites. Um, and the men of Israel rushed about midst and they won the battle because of the supernatural intervention of God. Um, uh, often in the book of Acts, these, these kind of supernatural manifestations followed the early apostles as they spread the, the good news of Jesus as that early kind of renewal season hit is the day of Pentecost. The spreading of the gospels accompanied by these early disciples uh, speaking in language that they did not know to audiences from other nations who heard people speaking in their own tongues saying, you, I don't know what's happening. Like, how do you know this language? What do you, are you, did you find some kind of new wine or something? Like this, this Peter's like, no, it's nine o'clock in the morning. This is not a new wine. This is the Holy Spirit. You're hearing the greatness of God in your own language from a guy who, I don't know this language, but this is the Holy Spirit telling you that Jesus really did rise from the dead, that your sins really are forgiven, and that he wants you to be his child, and he wants to, to call you into his family. Salvation is available. These kinds of manifestations often occur. Uh, you can look in the first, second, third awakenings on our country and all throughout the various awakenings in American history. Um, there's massive healings that take place. People supernaturally healed. Um, people also speaking in other languages they do not know. Uh, there's so many examples of these things. And it also took place in Jesus's, most of those things took place in Jesus's ministry as well. So we're to be open to the supernatural work of God in the midst of seasons of renewal and to pray for them and to be open to them to take place. Also, a couple other things. So then we're going to close soon, I promise. I'm sorry, this is a long sermon. That's okay. You guys still with me? Okay, good. What we see in seasons of renewal are also breaking down of racial 
barriers from day one. This first Pentecost movement was just for Jewish Christians. It was just for Jewish people that came for the, seeds, for the, for the events of Pentecost, right? In the early chapters of Acts, it was, it was Jews meeting Jesus, becoming saved. But suddenly, Peter has a vision of a sheet, and you can look at this in Acts chapter 10. And he gets, the Holy Spirit says, there's about to be some people knocking on your door, and there's a Roman soldier that has questions about Jesus. These are the bad guys, the enemy, the, the Gentiles. Like, Peter was like a Roman. Okay, so he goes. And sure enough, just as the Holy Spirit fell on Peter at the beginning, he witnessed it, and this is what it says in verse, that's 10, verses 44 through 45. Even as Peter was saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell upon all who were listening to the message. These are all Romans, non-Jews, okay? These are separate. These are people groups that were separate in Israel. They did not, you know, mingle with the Gentiles. But Jesus had something else in mind. These Romans received the Holy Spirit just like they did. The Jewish believers who came with Peter were amazed at the gift of the Holy Spirit having poured out on Gentiles too. For they heard them speaking in other tongues and praising God. Acts chapter 10. The first great awakening led to the first ever black American preaching a sermon to a white congregation in 1784 in our own state. That's what the work of the Spirit began planting seeds of racial reconciliation even in the 1700s. It took some time before they, you know, found their, their, their growth. But that's what the work of God does. The Azusa Street Revivals was interracial in the early 1900s from day one. And people were like, what is going on? There's every skin color present in these meetings. Nowhere else in America was that happening until the Holy Spirit showed up and brought them together. Those marks renewals. And lastly, there's, I just mentioned so many more things, but of course evangelism takes place. People fire, meeting Jesus, they go and start sharing the gospel, right? And I, this is the back end of our sermon now. So, we're going to end. Um, uh, lastly, there's a common thread of revival stories that is this. It begins usually with a young generation. It begins with the young people often. There's some pictures I have from some of you Emmanuelites have been here for some decades. You're going to recognize these. Some baptism pictures. Back there. That was in the Brandywine River here in the early 70s when a whole bunch of young people, a bunch of hippies started showing up here, right? Looking for a church because Jesus met them. Trying to find somewhere to, to grow in the know Christ. This happened at this church in unexpected times, unexpected manners. But that was happening all over the country in those days. Go read about it. Young people here from Wilmington flocking unexpectedly to Jesus in mass. It's called the Jesus People Movement in the 70s. Now, is what's happening in the colleges, is that happening again? I don't know. Probably too early to tell. But these seasons of revival and renewal, when they come to the church, it can often bring confusion, a little bit of messiness, a challenge to the status quo, what we think the church is, because usually it's among the young college-aged generation. They bring it about, and they bring about something different something new, something perhaps outside of the box. And my prayer, once you hear me here, all right, regardless of what the future holds here, my prayer is that the Lord would bring a season like that once again to our country. And it challenges us that it's not what we would expect. It's not the thing that I would do if I was, right? That we won't be like, this always happens too. 
the Anglican Church in the 1700s when a man named John Wesley started preaching the gospel about a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. The Anglican Church said, you can't preach that from our pulpits. So where'd he go? He went to the fields. He kept preaching. And thousands were saved and birth of the Methodist Church happened. George Whitfield was kicked out too, the same era for preaching about the new birth and having a relationship with Jesus. And he went to the fields as well. Usually the status quo church rejects the, the movement of God is often when that happens, right? I don't want us to be a church so stuck in our own tradition and history that, that we, we, we would be open to a new work of God among young people if it were to come. But after they meet Jesus, we, we bring an attitude, you know, this is what I don't want to happen, you know. They, they meet Jesus, they show up here, they bring an attitude of, okay, or we bring an attitude saying, all right, and we're glad you're here, but you have to conform to us now. Like, do what we do. Do what we like to do. Do what we want to do. And then you can be with us, but if you're not going to conform to us, then like, I don't know, sorry. I want to be that church. The first time Christians began using guitars in a church service, I mean, split churches all over the country, right? New things come about. Let's be open to the new thing that God might be doing. He's not in a box. He never has been in church history Let's find ourselves in the place of openness to the work of God that may be happening. So what does all this mean for you and I as I call the worship team up? First off, pray for Gen Z. We don't have a lot of Gen Zers in our, but we have some in our room here this morning, but pray for Gen Z. Pray for them. Pray for a fresh movement of the Holy Spirit to capture that generation so that we can learn from them so that we can see their love for Jesus and learn from it and make room in our own churches for what God is doing in their lives. Pray for that generation. Pray, pray, pray. Number two, all these things mentioned this morning are not just events to attend and experience. The the final goal of all the things I mentioned, of any kind of spiritual renewal movement, because these events rise up and they kind of then fizzle away. The most important thing that should come from this, that should mark our lives every day, is a completely transformed life in Jesus Christ. That's what he wants. What he brings about these kind of seasons of renewal, he, the ultimate goal is I want you. I want all of you. And here I am. Be transformed in me. And this is something that day by day we live by. After great physical suffering and persecution, the Apostle Paul once had this to say, 2 Corinthians 4. He said, we don't lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. Our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look not to the things that are seen but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient but the things that are unseen are eternal. The Holy Spirit wants to renew us day by day. That was a way of life for Paul. A way of life. And that's God's ultimate goal in Christ through his spirit as you're on this earth to renew you day by day. So as we close, are you hungry for this? Are you? Are you hungry to know Jesus for him to transform you? He can initiate a stirring. God is the one who initiates these things. He will initiate a stirring. And then he says, are you going to respond? Are you going to be numb? And are you going to just kind of push it away? Or are you going to say, I'm not really to take that plunge yet because I know what it might cost me. I know what I might have to do or, or not do. And I'm not really quite ready for that. 
be ready. He wants to transform you. So whatever's happening in Asbury is wonderful. I'm so thankful for it. But if anything comes out of it, if this is the only sermon that comes out of it and it fizzles away, we never hear anything else about it again, that's great. But just know that the message still is the same, that Jesus Christ, he died for your sins and he rose out of the grave. And he is alive today. And he sends his Holy Spirit to this world because he loves you. And as Paul said, be filled with the Spirit. He wants to fill you. So Jesus, I pray for everybody in this room, Lord, that we would hear the same gospel message that is unchanging for millennia and that it's still good news for us. And Lord, whatever is happening at these colleges, we're thankful for, but Lord, for the people in this room right now, all I can pray for is a, is a hunger Lord, a hunger that we would not ignore, that we would not be numb to, that we would not be resistant to. That you, Holy Spirit, would just tear down any of those idols that are just crowding our hearts away. And in our frailty and our weakness, Lord, when we discover just how weak we really are, as Paul said, in that weakness, we are then strong because you fill that weakness, Lord. Would you fill us this morning? Lord. Do a work this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.